Welcome to the Internal Medicine for Vet Techs podcast. If you haven't joined us before, we're passionate about all things internal medicine and helping you become the best tech you can be. We'll be discussing interesting internal medicine diseases, how to work closely with pet parents, and how to become the go-to tech in your practice. Now, let's start the show. Welcome back and thank you for listening and making commitments to your learning. We hope that you are doing well. I'm one of your hosts, I'm Yvonne Brandenburg, and I am joined by the amazing and super talented Jordan Porter. <laughs> Thanks. You're Thanks, welcome. love. It's great. <sighs> How's your week? Well, hot. I know how your week was. Well, yeah. It's been hot. Uh, other than hot, it's stressful yeah I well I had <laughs> I had this week off originally the plan was we were going to go camping with our friends and then my friend she she's a veterinarian and she's had back problems and just got really bad recently so she actually she has freaking back surgery scheduled which is crazy so we're like yeah we probably shouldn't go camping if your back is that bad Um, so then I was like, I'll just work, but my doctor took this week off. And so my boss was like, well, why don't you just take it off since you have plenty of time anyways, are you cool with that? And I was like, yeah, sure. I'll take the week off and I'll work on a bunch of stuff and get caught up and get ahead of things. And, um, then life said, no, 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 no. I think that is a horrible idea. Um, so yeah, I've been dealing with some crazy shit right yeah yeah crazy shit well hopefully that's your only run of crazy shit for a little while you know (laughs) yeah yeah i hope so oh no dude yeah yeah so i didn't get anything really i mean i got some stuff accomplished this week that like i had appointments for and i had to go do them yeah but other than that i like kind of just like stared at blank walls for a little bit and said what am i doing i don't know what am i doing so yeah that's yeah yeah. i'm I'm sorry uh it's i mean i think I, well, I don't, I don't even know where we are at this point. So, um, yeah, I'll just say it. Cause I did put it in one of the Facebook groups. Yeah. So, um, just like my dad's going through some stuff. And so it's, it was very sudden. <laughs> um, and we're still trying to figure out exactly what's going on. So yeah, it's been, a it's been a trip. It's been weird. And like, my dad's a super private person, so he doesn't want like everyone knowing. So. Yeah. <laughs> so that's also been hard because my mom is trying to deal with stuff, but it's like, she can't say anything to people. And it's just like, at some point I'm going to be like, dad enough. Like we have to tell people what's going on because mom needs support. And yeah. So I don't know, but for now we're just not saying anything. You yeah. Know, until everything's a hundred percent definitive and there's a plan. <laughs> At least I think that's what's, I think that's the plan that's happening. I don't know, but yeah. So things are very, very crazy at the moment. Yeah. Yeah. I get that. I'm sorry. That's okay. Well, and not only that, but like on top of everything else, I had like my third interview on Friday for yeah. this position I'm going for at work. And I was just like, okay, 
put on interview persona. And I was like, wow, it's just amazing to like have this vet tech compartmentalize thing down so well that I could kind of function. Yeah. <laughs> so I was like, cool. <sighs> so yeah. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah. 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 My week was not as um, stressful, I guess. Work was busy. <laughs> we had a really interesting case. Um, which mm. I should share in the Facebook group because a chicken bone got lodged up behind a dog's nose. Oh, what yeah. kind of dog was it? A big dog or a little dog? It was a. It looked like a pit bull puppy. Oh, so it was young and little. Yeah, it was like twelve weeks old and like, ooh, I don't know, smaller than my puppies, so like maybe twelve oh, pounds. Dang. dang. Okay. Um, but we got it out. It was crazy. You know how hard it was. We had to like retroflex. And like try to grab it and yeah. like, yeah, it was, it was yeah. crazy. We, but, uh, I had a dog know. years ago that it wasn't a chicken bone, but it was a river rock, you know, those like really smooth yeah. river rocks and it was up wedged in the nasopharynx. Like, so we had to push, um, I think we were like pushing red rubber catheters. Yeah. We talked about doing that front. if we, yeah, because we, we couldn't about doing grasp that. it. We talked about doing that if we couldn't retroflex and get it. Um, But we were able to, like, we were able to, so the graspers that go through the bronchoscope are obviously like super, super tiny. So we were able to grasp it just like enough and pull it just enough that then we used a spay hook and then we could use like curved forceps. Oh, wow. Like we pulled it just enough to where we could see just the tip of it. And like, that's so crazy. Yeah, it was, it was very interesting. And that was like, so that was a day I could not stay late either. So like naturally, like we got it out. Dude, we started that procedure. We started that procedure so late to, um, I think we like, we started at like 5.45 and at six o'clock I had to leave and we got it out at like literally two till six. And I was like, okay, bye. (laughs) Bye bye guys. Have fun cleaning up. See ya. (laughs) <laughs> yeah basically i was like you guys can recover and clean my bed <laughs> like bye oh my god that's crazy yeah so well that's good at least you didn't like have to stay late that's good yeah well luckily my team's pretty good so mm-hmm. yeah. it's nice when you can easily get a foreign body out <laughs> and it's not a potato <sighs> yeah or those stupid compressed chicken chew things oh yeah those oh are- <sighs> Or that pig foot that I had that one time. They just chunk off in little bits and you're just, just like. Just food in general. Oh. Like. <laughs> yeah. Like I'll take a fish hook over food any day. You know, it's like. Yeah. Yeah. Well, because I think we've talked about it before, but it's like, it's like you've got an asteroid and it's Armageddon and you have to drill into it and break up the yes. asteroid. This is what we're talking about, guys. If you've never done these form bodies, you just don't the the whisper made it like even more intense yeah but i feel you guys, you. you guys know what this is it's like you, you just don't understand but but once you've experienced it you understand and you yeah. dread them as much as they're really satisfying you dread them they're because not they can take really long time really long time yeah we were i was super <sighs> pumped that we got that chicken bone out in like 15 minutes yeah have you ever this is really random have you ever done like a foley catheter past the esophageal yes. form body and we tried that with that the, to like yeah, also we, like push from the back while you're pulling from the front yeah we tried to do <sighs> that with the potato but it just like it was a potato Smushed. 
as a potato. Yeah. Like, but wouldn't smush enough. Like it was, oh, right. it was the worst. <laughs> like, yeah. <laughs> yeah. All right. Sorry. We steps. totally got sidetracked with foreign bodies because we're internal medicine. That's what we do. <laughs> I'm so I'm making my friend make me shirts and my boss thinks I'm trying to be like offensive and I'm not because it's like, I'm like, no, it, it suits me. So on the front, I want to have my works logo. And then on the back, I want it to say internal medicine dot, dot, dot. Hold on. Let me overthink this. Oh, nice. And like, he's like, you can't wear that during the day that you can only wear that on your overnight shifts. So I was like, well, I mean, yeah. And I'm not saying that there's anything wrong with overthinking. I'm just saying that that's how, you know, you're an internist. <laughs> like <laughs> when you try to think of all these different differentials, cause we were mm-hmm. joking about differentials for me and like how I might have a tick-borne disease and all that stuff. <laughs> and like, nice. Yeah. Uh, yeah. Yay. Knowing um, things. <laughs> I'm also, I also drew blood on one of my puppies cause I'm going to run a DNA test on them. I was trying to figure out what might be in that mix. Yeah. Nice. So we're taking bets. If anybody wants to join in in the betting game, I should, I should make a poll because, and post a picture of them. Because mm. um, I currently think that they are St. Bernard American Bulldog. Yeah. And then my coworker thinks that they're Great Pyrenees and American Bulldog. Mm. What so. if they're Great Pyrenees? St. Bernard Saint and Bernard American Bulldog. And American. <laughs> <laughs> They're all of it. <laughs> I wouldn't be surprised. Someone threw husky in there. I was like, no, there's no way. Because with Pua's eyes, and then you throw in a husky, like one of them would have come out with blue eyes and none of them have the blue eyes. Mm, interesting. Um, huh. So husky's out. <laughs> Just out? Yeah. Just don't forget, she could have been a little bit slutty and they could have multiple dads. Yes. Except for the fact that, like, they all have twinsies. I mean, like, I get it, but yes. Like, (laughs) I'm counting on the fact that she wasn't slutty. All right. (laughs) Dad was just very uh, uh, fertile, I guess is what I want to say. Yeah, why not? Like, made 15 puppies? Jesus. Anyway. I can't believe there was that many. I still can't believe you had that many in your house. Like, crazy. Yeah, what that would have been that would have been a total if some of them didn't pass away, that would have been 18. 21? 21 dogs in my house? I mean at one point there was 21 dogs in my house. You guys, did you hear that? Jordan had 21 dogs in her house at one point. Mm. I'm down to eleven. Oh good lord. You so crazy. I've cut, so I've almost cut the number in half. Right. Like that's pretty good. (laughs) I mean, it's pretty good, but there's still 11 dogs. My theory, like Kevin and I um, have talked about this is there should be no more animals than people. Mm. But we've never abided by that. Never mind then. Yeah. I think we did. Well, the max we ever did was two per person. So I'm not even kidding you. I saw kittens yesterday, like at the drive-thru of In-N-Out, because again, I'm in California. There was two kittens and it was a black kitten and a brown tabby. And they looked exactly like my cats. And I looked at Kevin and I was like, (gasps) and he was like, no. And I was like, but come on, I never see kittens anywhere. And he's like, well, go get them. And I was like, like, I don't want to get out and like, the line and drive through to try to get these kittens because they were like I don't know they're probably like three four month old kittens they're they're young but and I was like oh my god if I could get them I would totally name them 
in and out. Dude, yeah, you out. should. Definitely. <laughs> you know, I've never but had an in and out burger and I know that like I mean, you're going to be here in September. We can make this a like thing that you know what an In-N-Out burger is. I hear it's a thing where you have to know what an In-N-Out burger is. Yeah. I mean, they're, they're pretty freaking good. Yeah. 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 Um, I weighed, I weighed Mumu and he's, <sighs> so what, they're 12 weeks old now. Oh God. And Mumu's 35 pounds. Shut up. Oh my God. He's so big. The rest of them were 27, but by the t- by the time they hit 12 weeks, they're probably like 28 or 29 pounds. And then Scotty, who my doctor calls the liver shunt one, um, <laughs> he's 20 pounds. <laughs> oh my God. Can you believe that? Like how big they are? I, I Can I believe it? Yes. Cause I've seen them. Yes. Can I believe that you're going to keep more than one? No, they're going to be so giant. Well, remember Jordan talks about her depression and Jordan does stupid things. <laughs> I understand this, but you're going to have so many dogs. Like if you sneeze funny, they're going to eat you because there's so many of them. Nah. (laughs) They're like, we love you so much. We want to take you in. They love me so much. (laughs) Like my Uh kids are going to turn out to be like Mowgli, just raised by dogs. (laughs) (laughs) They just think they're. um, Yeah. yeah, yeah. Connor's like, what? I don't, you don't walk around on four legs. What? Wait, we're supposed it. to pee inside? <laughs> <laughs> right? Oh my god, so funny. Anyway, we should probably move on with the episode. <laughs> That's okay. You'll you'll just have to post a picture of the puppies again in the Facebook group. I will. I haven't I haven't done. I need to get. Well, now I only have five in the house, but I need to get another video of them oh like god. running down the hallway again, like I did. Like, yeah, but even with only five being in the house, it's still going to seem like probably more puppies than it actually, were in the last video because of how big they are. <laughs> when we went from six to five, there was a dramatic difference. Like when we went from eight to six, it wasn't that big of a difference. Like it was still chaos. But when we went to six from six to five, it seems so quiet now, like feeding time is quiet. And like, mind you, the one that we got rid of this week, Wayne, he wasn't like, he didn't have a huge personality. He was a pretty chill puppy. Like, um. I really liked him. So I don't really know why it seems so like less chaotic now. <laughs> Probably because they're growing up. <laughs> yeah. <sighs> anyway, let's move on with the episode. <laughs> this so, week we're talking about a cat disease. Wait, wait, before we move on, we gotta, we gotta do like the really cool part. Oh yeah. yeah, yeah. So uh, you guys probably saw it in our Facebook group. Um, but just in case you did not know, We want to say congratulations to five of our members who sat for their small animal internal medicine credentialing BTS credential boards last month, and they just found out they passed. So Megan, Gemma, Beth, Sarah, and Erica, you guys are amazing rock stars, and I'm so glad you guys are part of our community. So... Uh, welcome to the membership, uh, to the Academy, I should say. Welcome to the Academy. Uh, I know we're not speaking officially in this podcast, but as your president of the Academy, welcome. And everyone else who passed as well, uh, congratulations. Uh, it was really, 
I uh, rated those questions and oh my God, my head almost exploded. So how the heck you guys pass those boards? I don't know because I don't know if I could pass them right now (laughs) (laughs) without studying for sure. Um, And then I know that the the other um, subspecialties as well. So like there's large animal, equine, cardio, neuro, and onco. Um, And so they, they all uh, welcomed new, new members to the, to their subspecialty. And then if you did not pass, because I know, unfortunately, there were some people that did not pass, pass, uh, you know, don't, don't be too hard on yourself. It's, it's a freaking hard exam. (laughs) Um, and I know plenty of VTSs who, you know, didn't pass their first time and they are amazing rock stars now too. So, um, you know, don't, don't feel like just because you didn't pass the first time that, you are any less deserving of being very proud of yourself for even sitting for the exam. So, um, exactly. you know, you, you'll, you'll do better next time. We, we, we know this because if you're anything like us, if we fail anything, we just try harder and then we do it. So, but congratulations to everybody. And I'm really hoping next year in 2022 for the AMVT not AMBT forum, excuse me, the ACVIM forum that we all get to meet in person because Jordan and I definitely have to be there next year because we're on the board. So, <laughs> so I, um, you know, look forward to seeing everybody next year because it better freaking be live because if this pandemic continues any longer with no conferences, I'm going to cry. Legit. <laughs> All right, now we can talk about this week. Fine. Now we can talk about the cat disease. <laughs> We're gonna. I need my dogs to stop barking. I'm really sorry, people who are listening, because they're going crazy today. It's because you have too many puppies. They're crazy. Well, they were sleeping like a little bit ago, and now they're up playing. And anyway, this week we're talking about mycoplasma. Um, it is not yet race approved for CE yet, but we're working on it. But members, um, or non-members and members can use it as self-study right now in most places. So we're going to be talking about mycoplasmosis. So what it is, it's a bacterial disease just from the genus mycoplasma. Um, and it can be either hematrophic or non-hematrophic, which I found pretty interesting because I don't think I realized that. And I learned a little bit more about the non-hematrophic type. Hmm. I didn't realize there was two different ones, but I mean, it shouldn't surprise me, but yeah, I guess. Well, it has me questioning a lot of our like, okay. Okay. Has me questioning a lot of our like GI feline patients and stuff like that. Mm. So anyway, so the hematrophic version, there wasn't actually a lot of like physiology or pathogenesis on like the non-hematrophics. Uh, on the non-hematrophic type, because like, I think it just attacks whatever cell versus the hematrophic type we know attacks red blood cells. So uh, the hematrophic mycoplasma, uh, it is an epicellular parasite of the red blood cell, and this can trigger hemolytic anemia. So basically the, the body sees the parasite and will start attacking to the red blood cells. This is, was previously known as hemobartonella, uh, so if you, you know, it sometimes is interchangeable with hemobart, uh, the bacteria itself lacks cell walls. So it is, it's, it's obligate parasite. Like it can't just, 
be without it. Um, and typically infestations take about two to seven weeks to incubate. Um, yeah. Two weeks, two weeks is there. more common, but it can take up to seven weeks for patients to start showing symptoms. Mm-hmm. And, and the problem is, um, if you've gone to some, like, I know Liz, uh, Houston did like a lecture on this at one of the little conferences that I went to. And the problem is you don't always see it, right? Yeah. So if you look at a blood smear, which I talk about, you, you sometimes see it and you sometimes don't. So it's, it's, this one's a tricky one. It's tricky, tricky, tricky then, one. Yeah. The non-hematrophic really depends on which part of the body it can infect mm. um, to kind of depend on which clinical signs you might see. So infection is typical in cats it's thought to occur from fleas or contaminated blood products. So from blood transfusions, mm. um, it's more common in male cats, like who have like FELV or FIV that are outdoor and just more susceptible to being covered in fleas, less common in dogs and thought to be transmitted through like the brown dog tick or infle- infected blood and possibly in utero as well. Um, but dogs are typically asymptomatic unless they're immunocompromised or don't have a spleen, which I thought mm. was interesting. Yeah. So this is like, especially for our internal medicine and oncology patients, that's something that we just need to be careful of is that since we do suppress their immune system, if they had this and previously they were asymptomatic, we could cause them to allow the bacteria to multiply and become a problem. So that's just something to kind of keep in the back of our heads when we have some of our other patients that we immune compromise or well, Yes, that we immune compromise, but we suppress their immune system. So yeah, and clinical signs for this typically are signs of anemia, so lethargy, anorexia, weight loss, tachycardia, tachypnea. Um, however, and kind of from here on, I'm just going to be talking about cats, just because we don't see it super often in dogs. <laughs> Some cats can show signs of the non-hemolytic or non-hematrophic mycoplasmosis, and that would include like respiratory issues, joint issues, urinary issues, or GI issues, as well as actually um, forming like abscesses mm. have been in found, like found to be in correlation with this. So, which I thought was interesting because I'm like, what if like all those GI cats? And like, I don't, I don't remember if we actually test them for mycoplasma. Yeah, I don't know. Um, but if the yeah. non-hematrophic bacteria actually affects the gut or the kidneys or the lungs, and it, we'll talk about diagnosis in a little bit, but it's it can be pretty difficult to diagnose. So mm. um, our differential diagnosis list, though, is going to be things like IMHA, just general GI disease, lymphoma, FELV, toxins, renal disease, thyroid disease. Um, yeah. Cause I mean, they're, they're kind of the, the symptoms are very similar. Yeah, exactly. Um, which like the actual information on this episode is going to be pretty straightforward and not like <laughs> all over the place. Like a lot of, <laughs> a lot of our episodes are, right. um, cause like what I wanted to mostly talk about was like finding it like on a blood smear. So CBCs can obviously show anemia. Um, sometimes it can be a non-regenerative anemia. Um, and I think with these, it, they can have waxing and waning anemia. Yes, exactly. Which is so crazy because it depends on the burden of the bacteria. Like, mm-hmm. so these, these patients can actually carry this bacteria around and then all of a sudden get like a larger burden because something kind of slams their immune system. Mm-hmm. And then the bacteria Stress. is like, 
oh, opportunistic, like cool. Right. Um, yep. And then, so it's like, if you're running a CBC or even if you're running like a test to specifically test for mycoplasma, it might come back negative. Oh, which is annoying. Which we'll talk about <laughs> in just a second. So our blood smears though. So this bacteria can actually be seen on about 50, it can be seen about 50% of the time on our red blood cells. However, blood smears should be made rapidly, which again, mm -hmm. I'm kind of a stickler for anyway, just because EDTA can break down um, red blood cells as a whole anyway. So you want to make your blood smears within four hours of being put in a purple top tube. Um, and specifically it for this though, EDTA can cause the bacteria to just detach from the erythrocyte. Yeah. So you actually want to do like a direct smear. Um, it's if you're specifically looking for mycoplasma, like you put a drop on there, smear it, then put your sample in, or put your sample in an EDTA and your leftover that's in your syringe, you make a couple of slides. Yeah. Cause the but if you don't have is, time at the moment, yeah. because even if you make a slide and stain it and everything like the EDTA, that's still like attached to that cell can still cause that bacteria to detach. So if you don't read your slide for six hours, you're not going to see it, which is crazy, right? Um, these bacteria can be coxoid rod shaped or circular. Um, they're on the epicellular location of the red blood cell. So they're on the outside of the red blood cell. looks like a how jolly body and it can be confusing, mm. um, to try to differentiate. And then definitely want to perform this prior to antibiotic administration, just cause similar to the last episode, it clears pretty easily. Well, clears from site pretty easily with antibiotic administration. Yeah. Um, the main test that we're going to use for this is going to be a PCR, but like I said, false negatives can really occur, especially if we have asymptomatic cats or cats previously treated with antibiotics just due to the low number of bacteria, mm -hmm. but it is more sensitive than a blood smear evaluation. Yeah. And this is, it, like, if you have a cat that has that waxing and waning anemia, you know, it, yes, it sucks when they're, when they're more anemic, that's when you should be testing them because in theory, that means they're going to have more of the bacteria than if they're, you know, red blood cells are regenerating and they're back to like a normal number. So, um, yeah. And, and you can get that fluctuation or they can become severely anemic. It again, totally depends on the, the bacteria load in that patient, which is great. Um, there was talk that I read about like doing performing cultures. Like, so if you're having a cat with like respiratory issues and you do like a PAL or something like that, you can do cultures and stuff, but a lot of po false positives can occur because sometimes like, depending on the part of the body that you're sampling, there can be, um, like an actual, like normal load of bacteria there mm. that will show up positive. Hmm. Um, so it's not ideal. So it's like for this disease, it's going to be your blood smears and your PCRs that are going to be best for you, which yeah. is kind of crazy. It's so and simple. Like it's, it's, yeah. it was almost like a lot of the information I was reading today was like simple. Like, that's why I feel like this episode is not overly long because it's one bacteria that we're talking about. <laughs> and then like, well, and I think too, I mean, did you find information about the non-hematropic, like how Not to a, diagnose it? So same thing, like it, it depends on the area, but you're going to want to do a PCR test or a culture, but it depends on 
the test. So like say it's in the spleen. Well, no, cause spleen would be the hematrophic. So if it's in the gut, sometimes like biopsies can show it, but not all the time. Mm. Um, so the non-hematrophic tends to be a little bit more difficult to diagnose than the hematrophic. Crazy. And yeah. non-hematrophic is, um, it just depends on the area, like where it affects. Cause too, if it affects the kidneys and stuff, it's just something that you are probably not going to see. Right. And I would think too, uh, like joints. So like if you've yeah. got something that you're suspecting, like an IMHA or excuse me, uh, IMPA, median polyarthritis, uh, you know, and it's in the joints because we usually do cultures on joint fluid as well as, uh, what else do we, oh, and we do cytology, but I mean, you know, in theory, you could throw a mycoplasma PCR in there. Yeah, um, you could just knowing yeah. that it might not come back positive. Yeah but still be there. I mean, it's like classic internal medicine. Like you you suspect it, but it's pretty difficult to actually diagnose unless you have the right amount of burden. It's like how the earth was created. Like you just got to like all the conditions need to be perfect. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. And I mean, it can be really frustrating because you've got these animals, you know, especially when you've got the waxing and waning anemia, it's like, okay, well, why is that happening? And you can't prove that it's there sometimes, which is frustrating. Yes. And it's frustrating for clients too, because it's mm-hmm. like, you want to keep, like, you either want to repeat this test, even though we've already done it, um, knowing like, that's gotta be frustrating for clients. Like, um, things that you can do imaging too. So abdominal radiographs as well. Um, it's going to maybe, well, if the patient has a spleen, it's going to show like mild splenomegaly. Mm just because we know that this bacteria will kind of live in the spleen and attack those red blood cells. And what happens to, to cause the anemia is like the bacteria is on the red blood cells and the body marks that is foreign and then starts attacking its own red blood cells. Cause it's trying to attack the bacteria. Mm-hmm. Um, but sometimes in your waning episodes, it is able to just attack the bacteria um, mm-hmm. or it's getting the bacteria that's detached from the red blood cells um, and not going after the actual red blood cells themselves. So yeah. Which is, it's kind of crazy when we think about <laughs> how it's working, which yeah. is why we talked about the basics first before some of these episodes. Yeah. Um, treatment though is pretty simple, kind of a lot like, well, it is exactly like the last episode. <laughs> right. Um, you're going to want to treat symptomatically. So obviously if blood transfusions are needed, you want to give a blood transfusion from an adequately scanned donor to make sure you're not giving mycoplasma right. to the patient. Um, but doxycycline is the treatment of choice for this as, and same as last week's episode, two to four weeks. Um, and cats need to be careful with doxycycline because they can cause esophageal ulceration, um, which can then cause strictures. So try to inform the clients to try to like flush with water after administering doxycycline. Mm. Um, and rofloxin can be used as well. However, within studies, um, no antibiotic has actually been shown to like fully, like reliably clear the infection. Um, so chronic carrier state is likely super annoying, right? <laughs> so the, so yeah, the problem with that is, you know, they potentially, if we can't fully clear it, like we suspect that they're going to have it 
probably for the rest of their lives. When they have a flare up and they become anemic, then we treat with the antibiotics again um, and try to get it under control. Uh, did it say anything about marbofloxacin instead of enrofloxacin? Uh, no, but I could see why that would be used. I mean, there was talk about doing tetracyclines or just fluoroquinolones as a whole anyway. Mm, okay. Yeah. Cause I know my doctor's not a huge fan of using Enro on cats. So we use yeah, mar- my doctor Marbo a ton. So. Cause it could cause blindness. Yes. Um, also there's some literature about PRED being used. Um, and it's just thought to decrease like that phagocytosis of the red blood sites. Interesting red blood cells i knew what you meant <laughs> well i was thinking erythrocytes and red blood cells yeah. at the same time <laughs> i got you yeah i can speak your i am lingo <laughs> yeah. um i do think it's important for client communication though to just inform owners that waxing and waning can occur um the infection might not fully clear so there is that chronic carrier state and then also fully discuss um how to give doxycycline to cats <laughs> Yeah. Yes. So you don't have to stricture. Yeah. Yeah. Well, and I think it's hard because this is, um, it's just one bacteria. I mean, it's one of many infectious agents that can just be a pain in the butt. Did you by any chance go on to, what is that? Worms and germs, germs and worms. No, I went on Eclin path. Oh, you went to Eclin path. Yeah, because I was looking up the picture of it to see how different it was from how Jolly Bodies. And you're like, oh, it's almost exactly the same. Basically. Yeah, I know. I was going to say in dogs, mycoplasma, like this is why when we do bronch BALs with dogs, we always we always test for mycoplasma just in case because it can cause like a respiratory infectious respiratory disease thing. Yeah. Um, other than, and like, so like a kennel cough, especially if you've got one that just lingers and won't clear, which is yeah. usually when we're doing our bronch BALs, that's, that's one thing. So, um, yeah, I mean, otherwise, yeah, I wish, I wish I had that information that, that Liz did at her lecture. Cause that was a good one. Um, yeah, I, I remember the lecture. It was, it was interesting. And she did talk about how, um, you know, the big thing is, is it's hard to get rid of it and mm-hmm. they tend to be carriers, which is a bummer. It's kind of a pain in the butt. Yeah. Mycoplasma. I mean, yeah. thankfully it is fairly easy to get it enough under control that it's not problematic. A huge problem. Yeah. Um, it's just one of those, it's really annoying that clients have to, you know, potentially monitor their, their cat, if they have it, you know, for the rest of their lives and just treat symptomatically, you know, so it's the tip of the week. I I think this tip of the week is going to be similar to last week's, which is get your sample prior to antibiotic administration. (laughs) Yes. (laughs) If we make that the tip of the week for multiple weeks, maybe people understand it. (laughs) And now for the question of the week, I guess the question of the week, I mean, other than uh, Liz's fun lecture that I did, anybody else have any good resources for mycoplasma, especially when you're talking to clients about it and getting them to understand, um, let us know. We've got a couple of resources, but it's 
you know, yes, it's talked about, but I think, I think mycoplasma is one that we may not talk enough about. I don't know. Does that make sense? Yeah, definitely. Cause like, like I said, when I was trying to look it up, there wasn't like a ton. There's a lot of little articles about it. <laughs> mm, right. Yeah. So anyways, if you find some good resources, let us know. Otherwise, uh, what's the, what's the plan for next week? What are we, what are we talking about next week? Another, I don't remember another infectious disease, right? Yes. Um, cat scratch fever. <laughs> Barnella next week. Cool. Um, okay. So next week is Bartonella, which is an infectious disease near and dear to me. Yeah, it is. <laughs> um, and then we've got a couple more. And we're do like I can't believe we're in the middle of summer. <laughs> I'm super excited for the next series. I feel like I say that every series, but the yeah. next series is like really just like mm. yeah. We've got so we've got a, we're finishing up our infectious disease and we're talking more um hematology stuff and i'm excited for like the end of september we've got oh yeah that'll our be cardiology fun. series coming up which will be super fun and then because everybody requested a cardiology series yeah so um definitely super fun that'll but fun. uh yeah let us know if you guys have any questions um sorry this this episode is probably shorter than most it's one bacteria we were talking about yeah, versus um, the four that I had last week. <laughs> right. All right, guys. Well, I hope you guys are having a wonderful week. I hope you're staying cool if you're in some of the crazy areas with the, the excessive heat warnings. I hope you're staying dry in some of those places that are getting flooded. You know, basically just uh, let's go for homeostasis. <laughs> oh, yeah. We had a tropical <laughs> storm last week. That's right. I forgot about that. <laughs> I was like, wait, we flooded. It was super wet. It's still super wet here. It is so dry here. So dry. Well, I'll send a tropical storm your way. (laughs) I know the world is like, we need a little homeostasis. I'm going to just knock some stuff around and see what happens. (laughs) Yeah, we had had tropical storm Elsa down this way. Oh. All the jokes of like, she needs to let it go. And then just. Nice, (laughs) nice, nice. So we had a couple good days of just like solid thunderstorms. Yeah. Uh, All right. Well go take care of your crazy puppies that are overly wound up i'm gonna make them dinner and then they'll be (laughs) yeah they were very uncooperative for today's episode but i'm gonna go make them dinner and they will be they'll probably go back to sleep which i should have done before we recorded this Mm. (laughs) all right guys well have a uh wonderful week and um get your learn on and uh we'll talk to you next time Bye. Thank you for listening to today's episode of the Internal Medicine for Vet Techs podcast. If you like what you heard, we'd love for you to share with someone you think might enjoy the podcast and make sure to subscribe so you never miss an episode. Want to give us a boost? Please leave a review on iTunes or your favorite podcatcher and we'll be sure to say thank you. Find out everything about us at internalmedicineforvettechs.com. Talk to you next week. Bye.